Acts chapter 18, and then we'll also be looking at 1 Corinthians, and we'll introduce uh, the topic, but as our, our children are making their way back to uh, their Bible study, I want to pray for them and their families, all right? So let's pray. Father, thank you for blessing this church with families. Thank you for blessing this church with children. Uh, Lord, we pray that you watch over them. Father, we thank you for leaders that get the word into their hearts. I pray that that word grows in their lives. I pray that they not only memorize it, but live it out. Father, I pray for the thousands of children that surround this building. I pray that they come to know you also. And so, Lord, I pray that you keep blessing uh, children in this area. Please bless their families, the marriages, and the families, and the kids themselves. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, today we're looking, we're starting a, a new sermon series. We're actually going to get to 2 Corinthians. We're going to be making our way to 2 Corinthians next week. Uh, if they are delivered on time, you will have uh, the book of 2 Corinthians as a Bible journal, journal. We want you to read through the book as we preach through the book. We'll be in there about 26 weeks. So uh, we're going to be hitting it pretty hard um, in the spring, but then also again in the fall, making our way through 2 Corinthians. And so today, uh, we're just swimming at the top of the pool. We're, we're looking at Acts 18 and the birth of the church at Corinth. And then we're going to do an overview of 1 Corinthians because it's important to know the background. And then over the next few weeks, it's deep sea diving in the book of 2 Corinthians. And we'll see how it's actually in weakness we are strong. Because it'll show a world that the strength in us is actually from God, not ourselves. And so we're going to see what does that mean in our lives. How do we do ministry? How do we live in the strength that the Lord supplies? So today what we're looking at is a church plant and church problems. Gospel work and gospel issues. And here's the awesome part. Wherever there is a church, there will also be church problems, right? Because the church is made up with messed up people. We're saved by the grace of God, but we are still sinners. We're sinners who have repented. We are sinners who have been saved by the grace of God, but we're still in process. And we'll be in process until the day Jesus returns or we meet him through the grave. And so whenever you have a group of sinful people, you'll have sinful problems. And what you'll see is the same answers that Paul gives to the church of Corinth will be the same answers you and I need to apply today. Sin problems require a gospel answer. And that's what we'll see. And so if you are interested in doing a gospel work and playing the gospel and see how it grows, we'll see that in Acts 18. And if you're interested in how to apply the gospel to sin in your life and sin in our church, we'll see that all throughout the book of 1 Corinthians. Now, buckle up, because we're going to set a pretty quick pace, but I think God has a lot for us this morning. All right, let's pray, and then we'll dig in. Father, thank you for gathering us here this morning. Lord, I pray that you clear our minds and hearts to hear from you. Father, I pray that you give us an urgency to gospel work that you've called us to. And then, Father, I pray that we apply to the gospel to our sin problems. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, let's start with the planning. This is uh, Paul going along in the second missionary journey. This is from A.D. 49 to A.D. 51. And we'll see this in Acts 15 to Acts 18. 
As Paul, Silas, and Timothy joins up on the trip, he travels through Syria and Cilicia and Galatia, traveling the Ignatian Way all the way to Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, Athens, and then he finally arrives at Corinth. And so this is later in on the trip. And so you can imagine the wear and tear on Paul's life, but he's still getting after it. And so let's look at five characteristics of gospel work, of how to plant a church. Number one, look at gospel connections. This is Acts 18, 1 through 3. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy and his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. You think this is by accident that Paul meets up with this couple? This couple who just by happenstance is also in the same trade Paul is? And they both love Jesus? They're both serious about spreading the gospel in a city that is wicked? It's not by accident. It's called gospel connections. Paul leaves Athens at the same time a couple is leaving Italy. And God brings them together. And you want to know why that's important? Paul didn't know where he would stay in Corinth. Paul didn't know how he was going to make a living in Corinth. But God did. And it's amazing how gospel connections happen when gospel work is getting done. Now, we have a laundry list of gospel connections here. And I'm going to leave some people out uh, just because there have been so many, but just a, a few that, that stick out that, that I'm reminded of. Uh, first off were you two, right? We met in the room downstairs, Gospel Connections. We're trying to figure out Redemption Church. How are we going to start worship services when we don't have a building, we don't have a place to meet? Uh, and we met Wilton Shelton and West Roy, and they said, come on. And the church voted to say, hey, come on. And so we had worship services. And then we met Richard Cleet. Uh, who was the worship pastor out at Oakland Avenue Baptist Church, they were uh, closing down their building and said, uh, come on, use this building for gospel ministry, however you see fit, come on, gospel connections. And, and then there was a guy in the band playing drums uh, at Holmes High School, and I know we needed somebody that could play the drums, and so I asked Donovan Starr if he would mind playing the drums for us one time. And one time turned into the next time, and the next time turned into a month, and a month turned into a year, and he's been here ever since. What I didn't know, it was a two-for-one deal. His dad, many of you don't see, he's up there on the soundboard. Right? That's a pretty cool gospel connection. Well, I just so happened to be on the same floor as a guy named Stephen Fight. Thankfully, he can lead worship because I know I couldn't. Stephen Fight said, hey, I can help you lead worship. And so he jumped on board, and then he brought Brian, who now leads worship here. And has got a team together and leading our ministry team. And then you have Matt Watson. He used to live down south and has moved up here. And his work moved him up here. But now he's the youth pastor here. And his work now is in downtown Covington. Making multiple gospel connections throughout the week. And the list just goes on and on and on. There was a security guy that Holmes hired. And it wasn't because of his talent. Tracy Pope. He'd come every other day because that's what the schedule would allow, and we were desperate for help. The only time I've ever got hit in a fight at Holmes High School was by Tracy Pope. He landed an elbow on me, breaking up a fight. I couldn't believe it. Didn't see it coming. Tracy Pope comes, and we're just working together, and sure enough, he shows up, and you talk about a dynamite leader at our school. 
a gospel witness, loves telling people about Jesus, inviting people to church, knows Covington real well, and loves Jesus. That's what we're looking for. It's gospel connections. So if you're going to do a work, don't be surprised by gospel connections. Number two, I, I call this, and listen, I understand this isn't a word, but I think it expresses the point pretty well. It's gospel get afterness. You, you got to get after it. And you see this in the. For, so Paul is working through the week as a tent maker, right? He's sweating, he's working hard, but every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. He got after it. And then you skip on down to Acts 18, the second part of verse 8. Many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. Paul was a dude that just simply got after it. He's not sitting around, laying down on his couch, eating Doritos, watching football all day. He's got a gospel mission, and it requires spiritual sweat. And so I'm reminded our football team, and Q, you know this. Back in the day, we had this weight room, and we'd split up into groups, and there'd be a lot of guys. And when you have this many guys, you have some in the weight room, some in the senior gym, some running stairs. And some of them would work hard, and you could tell it. But after every day when we lifted weights, we'd all come together, and I was shocked to see some of the guys, after two hours of lifting weights, were not sweaty. You want to know why they weren't sweaty? They didn't lift any weights. They come in the weight room, and they put some weights on the bench press, and then, oh, man, i got to go get my shoes on. I'm not ready to lift. And then by the time they come back, they're already on the squat rack, and of course, by the time you get to the squat rack, you've got to take a restroom break, and then we don't see you. And we're not going to ask questions. If you're sitting in the stall, we're not coming in. We don't care. Take your time. But then by the time they get done going to the restroom, they're done with squats, and now they're to deadlift. And that's right in time because they've been working so hard. Time for a drink of water. And sure enough, they can't find a water fountain. And by the time they come back, they're in the senior gym, and we don't know what happened. But you can't pretend when you're out there on the football field. We know who lifted and who didn't. The guys getting pushed around probably didn't work too hard in the weight room. In gospel work, the same is true. Spiritual work requires spiritual sweat. It's a gospel get-afterness. You've got to lay aside comfort. You've got to lay aside your schedules. You've got to take up your cross, and you've got to follow Jesus and get after it. So whatever God is calling you to, I encourage you to break a little spiritual sweat. So you've got gospel connections. You've got gospel get-afterness, but you also have gospel togetherness. If you see Acts 18, look at verses 5 through 8. I love it because Paul's boys arrive. His team gets there. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes and protested and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent of it. From now on, I will go on to the Gentiles. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titus, Justice, a worshiper of God, Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard and believed the gospel were baptized. Man, you just look, when the team arrives, look at how Paul flourishes. Look at how the gospel grows. So what you don't see here and what you'll see in 2 Corinthians is when Silas and Timothy arrive, the reason why Paul is able to exclusively preach the gospel was there was a church in Macedonia. And that church didn't have much. They were poor. And Paul will say that first they gave themselves to the Lord, and then when we asked them to stop giving, they kept on giving. 
And we couldn't stop them from giving. And that's what arrived for Paul to do ministry. For the next year and a half, he didn't have to do tent making. Because there was a church that said, no, the gospel's worth sacrificing for. I can go without so somebody can hear the gospel. And they gave. And Paul was willing to get after it. And so you see how when people come together, the gospel expands and grows. I love that. Who's God bringing together here to reach a city that is in critical need of being reached? Who knows who God may bring along? Who knows where help will come from? Sometimes it comes from afar, but sometimes God raises it up out of the harvest field. What I do know is when gospel work is to be done, there's a gospel togetherness that can't be explained. Not only is there togetherness, there's also endurance. Acts 18, 9 through 10. One night, so, so you just saw Paul's being abused, there's opposition. Like his life is in danger. And that's just normal for Paul. He goes from city to city and his life is in danger. And listen to what God says to him. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision, Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one's going to attack or harm you, because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. I love that. You know, I believe it's one of my convictions that there are many people that God has in this city, in Covington, in northern Kentucky, in the greater Cincinnati area, I believe God is doing a work. How do we find out? Did you see what Paul did? After hearing that he has many in the city, for a year and a half he went about teaching the word of God to them. You've got to get the gospel out. And you've got to do it with endurance. My guess is day after day, week after week, month after month, for a year and a half, that gets tiring. And he's facing opposition after opposition. We're going to see some of it in just a little bit. But Paul just keeps on being faithful. One more stat I'll throw at you. Andrew and I are trying to get in shape. And we go to Planet Fitness. It's cheap membership. We go there. But you want to know what happened in January? A lot of people showed up. It is now February, and guess what happened? There's not a lot of people there anymore. <laughs> it lasted a month. So I did a little research and found out 80% of January gym goers quit within the first five months. They don't make it a summer. You know what? If you're about gospel work, don't quit. It will get hard. It requires endurance. And you wonder what the awesome part is, though? God will give you the endurance. He'll help you take the next step. Just be obedient. And watch how the Spirit will fill you and give you endurance. Have you stopped talking about Jesus? What would make you quit talking about Jesus? Are you enduring? Is your health giving way and that's affecting you spiritually? Is there opposition at work? Is your neighborhood a scary place? Gospel work requires gospel endurance. And then finally, gospel grit. Acts 18 11 through 19. Acts 18, 11 through 19. So Paul has this vision. No one's going to harm him. But then check out what happens. While Galileo was proconsul of Achaia, 
the Jews of Corinth made a united attack on Paul and brought him to the place of judgment. This man, they charged, is persuading people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. Just as Paul was about to speak, Gallio said to them, If you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about words and names of your own law, settle this matter yourselves. I will not be a judge of such things. So he drove them off. Then the crowd there turned to Sosthenes, the synagogue leader, and beat him in front of the proconsul, and Galileo showed no concern whatever. Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. Isn't that amazing word? It's in that atmosphere that Paul just sticks around and keeps teaching and preaching the gospel. You have a leader that's ignoring abuse and a beaten. This is uh, not a big deal. And Paul's like, yep, I'm going to stay here. That takes some toughness, doesn't it? It takes a little bit of grit. If we're going to be about a gospel work, it's going to require those five things. That's where the church in Corinth was planted. It's where it started. Paul, for a year and a half, just relentlessly sharing the gospel. And from that, the fruit of that work is a church. Isn't that an amazing story of how God works? That's gospel work. That's how churches are planted. And, and nothing's changed. If you want to see the gospel grow, you've got to share the gospel now and watch God do a work. Now, flip to 1 Corinthians, and we will go faster through this. But this is what I want you to see. Sin problems require gospel answers. Sin problems require gospel answers. 1 Corinthians 1 through 16, you have the mess and the message, right? So it is just a laundry list. And you wonder, how in the world in three years can a church go off the rails this far? But be careful. I was asking a few of you today, if Paul were writing Redemption Church, let's say First Redemption, his first letter to us, what sin problems would he bring up? Because this I know, in a church made up of sinful people will be sinful problems. But the same solution, the gospel, must be applied. I think sometimes people think we grow past the gospel like we say, ah, I'm too old for that. And what you see in the Christian life, it's not growing past the gospel. It's diving deeper into the gospel. Diving into who we are in Christ. And then seeing how all of that, all those implications impact our life. Sinful problems require gospel answers. And so let's look at, at the church of Corinth and see the mess ups and see how Paul applies the gospel. And then hopefully we do that to our own lives and then our own church, okay? So here we go. Right off the bat, chapter 1, verse 2, it says, To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people. I, I love this. Paul, right off the bat, and that is, that, that's the gospel, right? Holy people, sanctified by Jesus. That's who we are in Christ. And what Paul is doing is saying, hey, this is who you are. So live like it. This is who you are. Live it. He reminds them they are a holy people because what we're about to read, not very holy. But you know what? Jesus is making them holy. 
transforming them from the inside out. So let's get to the first mess. Division over leaders. And this is 1 Corinthians chapters 1 through 4. And so the people were saying, hey, I follow Paul. And so he had a following. And then another group was following another leader named Apollos. He was a dynamite speaker. People were like, well, I follow Apollos. And then others would say, well, I'm following Peter. He's the one that walked with Jesus and always spoke up for him. He's the only one that walked on water. I'm following him. So that makes me a little bit better than you two. And then the trump card, another group would say, well, I'm following Jesus. And it was dividing the church over following people. Remember this when election comes up and how following after men can split a church. You want to know what Paul teaches them? What the gospel answer is? It's gospel clarity. He says it's not about who baptized who, but about the cross of Christ. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it's the power of God. He's like, why are you arguing over man, manly leaders? It's the cross. You have a crucified Savior, and you're dividing over following so-and-so. And then, just in case they missed it, he goes on in chapter 1, verse 30 and 31. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us the wisdom from God. That is, now, <laughs> this is awesome. This is what we have from Jesus, right? Wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, our holiness, and our redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Why are you bragging about who you follow? Look at what Jesus has given you. By dying on a cross, being buried, being raised from the grave, reigning and ruling right now, this is who you are, and this is who you are because of what he has done. You've received his righteousness. You've received his holiness. You have been redeemed out of your sin, so why are you still walking in it? If you're going to brag, don't brag about who you follow. Brag about what Jesus has done for you. Boast in the Lord. That's a gospel answer. And then to come back and remind them about spiritual leadership, in 1 Corinthians 3, 6-7, through 7, he goes, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow grow what an awesome application of the gospel to a sin problem in the church who was divided over leaders number two they were tolerating sin not only were they tolerating sin they were proud of it now due to the age in the room you can see this in chapter five but it's sexual immorality right it's a case of incest and the church was saying well we're free it's just about the body the body's not that important and the church was saying, well, look at how tolerant we are. And Paul's like, what are you doing? And this is how he applies the gospel to this mess. The gospel answer, 1 Corinthians 5, 7, the second part. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Jesus empowers us to walk in a new life. The old is gone, the new has come. He's saying, look at the sacrifice Jesus made. You're not walking in your old way anymore. He's making all things new. You are a new creation. And then, we see in 1 Corinthians 5.11, But now I am writing to you 
that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, right? So they're saying, hey, I belong to Christ, but now check this out, but it's sexually immoral. We love hitting on that one, and that is true, right? And we need to treat that in a biblical manner. But then he also adds, not only should you not associate with a brother or sister who says, I love Jesus and won't turn from sin over sexual immorality, but also greed, or is an idolater, or a slanderer, or a drunkard, or a swindler. Don't even eat with such people. And what he's saying is, hey, as a church, you're called out and set apart. It's called sanctification. If your life doesn't look any different once you come to know Christ as Lord and Savior, you're not following him as Lord, and he will not be your Savior. When you come to Christ, you repent of sin, and you follow Jesus. Jesus gets to call the shots. And his spirit will be given to you and will convict you of sin. And as you're convicted, confess it and turn from it, and he will clean you from that. That's how Paul applies the gospel to a church that was tolerating gross sin, and we're proud of it. Not only were they divided and tolerating sin, they were also suing one another. This is chapter 6. They're taking brothers and sisters to court. They're cheating each other. And when they don't make it right, they're suing each other. Can you, can, can you imagine that? That's happening in the church. And Paul hears about it, and he's blown away, and so he offers this. 1 Corinthians 6.11, gospel answer to sin problems. 1 Corinthians 6.11, and that is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Therefore, quit cheating one another, quit wronging one another, and quit suing one another. Jesus paid for all of that. Don't treat each other that way. And then here's the crazy part. Paul goes to an extreme in chapter 6, and I thought this was interesting. He says, be willing to be wronged rather than sue your brother or sister. That would require loving someone more than you love yourself. You talk about a patience. What a challenge. Sinful problem, gospel answer. Next, they were rationalizing, rationalizing sexual sin. Chapter 6, 12 through 20. Some of them were saying, I have a right to do anything with my body because my body is wasting away. So who cares what I do with my body? Now, you'll see later on in Corinth, there was this huge temple with prostitutes. and It was an act of worship. Sexual sin dominated this city. And out of this, the gospel's transforming people. And so this is Paul's answer to sexual problems, immorality in the church. 1 Corinthians 6, 13, the second part. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. 1 Corinthians 6, 18 says, flee from sexual immorality. And then 19 and 20, do you not know... That your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God. Now you talk about gospel application here. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. What was that price? The blood of Christ. He had to lay his life down so that I might be saved. That my sin might be paid for. That's an expensive price. And you remember how much it cost Christ. To transform your life. And so he says, remember, you were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God 
with your bodies. Simple problem, gospel answer. Number five, eating in idols. And so what they would do, they would have food sacrificed to idols, and then they would sell it in the marketplace, and people were buying it. Now, there were two groups of people. There were those who were mature in their faith who understood there is no such thing as a God of whatever. And so when I buy this food, all I'm doing is eating food. But then there was another group of believers, a little bit younger in their faith, and they would see someone eating that and say, oh, no, they're worshiping such and such because they're eating food that was sacrificed to idols. And so it would ruin their conscience, and then they would rationalize, well, maybe we can worship other gods too with Jesus. And so listen to the gospel answer. This is 1 Corinthians 8, 7 through 13. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you and have knowledge of eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged, if his conscience is weak, to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. Do you see how Paul gets back to the gospel? He's saying, you're treating a brother who is immensely valuable to Christ, so valuable he was willing to die for him, as something that's not worth even putting aside your freedoms for. Thus, sinning against your brother and wounding their conscience when he is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. That's a gospel response. That's a gospel answer to a sinful problem. Are you willing to lay aside your freedom so that your brothers and sisters might have life and not stumble? He concludes in the last part of chapter 10. It says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, why? So that they may be saved. And then he concludes, 1 Corinthians 11, 1, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Can that be said of us? Can we say, follow me as I follow Jesus? And obviously this is in regards for looking out for your brother and sister in Christ. Number six, simple problem. The Lord's Supper gone wrong. Listen, we had, we had some interesting Lord's Supper experiences. We had, uh, during COVID, we didn't have the bread. We had these individually packed wafers. And I'm not positive it was bread. It could have been styrofoam. Nobody was sick. But when you taste it, oh, not much there. Well, here... This Lord's Supper went wrong, wrong. People would show up, and those that had a lot of money were eating a lot of food and getting drunk. But then those who didn't have anything were starving. And you check out what happened. Because they approached the table in a manner that's not worthy of approaching the table with, some were getting sick. And then Paul goes, and that's why some of you have fallen asleep. Now, he's not saying they passed out drunk. He's saying they fell down dead. 
because of how they approach the table. He said, there's nothing good to say to you about how you are practicing the Lord's Supper. And so he goes back and reminds them about what the Lord's Supper is all about. He says, remember the body that was broken for you when you eat the bread. It's not to satisfy your hunger. It's to satisfy your soul. And then he goes, remember the blood that was shed for you when you drink the cup. And he goes, for whenever you eat the bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, examine yourself before participating in this meal. He goes back to the gospel. Remember why you're around the table in the first place. This isn't a light thing. So approach the table with caution. Simple problem number seven. My gift is better than yours. Members were bragging about what God has given them. Some could speak in tongues, some could prophesy. Somebody had to have the gift of helps. And that person was probably like, you've got to be kidding me. You've got to be kidding That's my gift. And so now there were starting to be levels to this. And they were bragging about, oh, my gift's much better than your gift. And then what does Paul do? What's the gospel answer? Uh, be very careful. You're all one body. And the Spirit arranges the gifts exactly how he wants to. And together, you make up the body of Christ. And if one member's hurting, you're all hurting. If one member celebrates, you all celebrate. You forget that you're connected. And you're connected through the gospel. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus brings you together as one body. You desperately need each other. So quit acting like you're better than Can you imagine if my right hand bragged to my left hand? I get to do all the right, and you don't get to do nothing. It doesn't make sense. And yet that happens in the church with roles and giftedness. Makes zero sense. One body in Christ to do his will. And then the, the final thing was no resurrection. This is chapter 15. The mess was, some were saying, there is no resurrection of the dead. There is no resurrection of the dead. To which Paul answers, if there is no resurrection, then we are to be pitied. My preaching is in vain. Your living is in vain. Nothing really matters. Eat, live, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. But Paul goes back in verse 14. It says, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Verse 20, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And then he gives, in the beginning of the chapter, says, Hey, this is of first importance that Christ lived, and he died, and he was buried, as the scriptures told us. He rose from the grave, and then he appeared. Appeared to 500 people. And Paul then says, many of them are still alive. You can ask them. Make no mistake, Jesus is alive and well. Therefore, Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have been fallen asleep. What Paul is saying, just as sure as the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus was, will be your resurrection on that day. Jesus is just the beginning, not the end. And then you see in the final part of chapter 15, the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God, he gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers, sisters, stand firm, let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. The same way, that Paul applies the gospel to every sin problem in this church at Corinth, 
should be emulated in our church with our sin problems. And so this is just me thinking. And I was thinking this week, last night, this morning, what about here? What about at Redemption Church? What, what are some issues that we could be struggling with? And I think one thing with the culture and time in which we live is it's very, very comfortable. It's very, very comfortable. We are a very, very wealthy church if you look at churches throughout history. We live better than kings live. That could be our downfall. If you live for comfort, the things of this world will destroy any spiritual urgency in your life. And man, it is deceitful. It will sneak up in your life and destroy you and destroy me. Just a little bit bigger house, just a little bit nicer car, just a little bit better job, just a little bit more money, just a little bit more food, and your spiritual fervor is gone. Don't seek after comfort. Seek after Christ. All of those things will be added to you. Get after the things of God. Kept thinking and looking. I think another one of our messes could be the fear of death or regret what I used to be but I'm not anymore or the idea that I can't do anything anymore right so you notice I've got some glasses on today my sight listen when I read the Bible here sometimes I got to guess at words not a good thing right I will not guess at these words so I got to put these on but my vision's going and one day It won't be my vision, it'll be my heart, unless Jesus returns. I don't have unlimited years. This body is passing away, it's wasting away. But I do know this, as long as I have breath in my lungs, I got to be about the things of God. And the same is true for you. If you're alive and well, God has something for you. You got to be praying for someone. You got to be using the gifts God has given you for the good of the body and the glory of God. Do not give up. And maybe that's one of those sin problems that need a gospel answer. Pornography. Pornography is a huge business. I talked about the the temple that was in Corinth. It's nothing compared to the pornography that's on our computers and phones and all throughout. It's a booming business. And it is destroying people from the inside out. There's a gospel answer for that. And it's the same thing Paul told this church. Flee from sexual immorality. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. And then just as the church is made up of sinful people, every marriage is made up of two sinful people. And as I was thinking, and the list goes on, and don't think I'm thinking of any of you. I'm thinking about my own. So I'm thinking, all right, as our communication, um, our money, uh, our comfort, Uh, is our schedule with our children, parenting. And I'm just looking at all that with Julianne and and our girls. And every time there's an issue, it's a sin problem, right? Either we're not communicating well, uh, we're holding on to stuff too much, we're not sacrificing for one another. And and you want to know what the gospel answer is to marriage sinful problems? What does our marriage picture a better marriage Jesus and his church 
Jesus and his bride. And what's the challenge to husbands? Love your wives, how? As Jesus loves the church and what? Gave himself up for. All of my marriage problems can be solved with a gospel answer. Just love Julianne the way Jesus loves the church. That's it. Now, I don't know about you, but I could use some help with that. I could use some godly men in my life saying, hey, you got to kill that. You got to turn from this. You need a sacrifice here. Right? Sinful problems, gospel answers. Now, I'll leave you with this. Your greatest sinful problem is that your sin has separated you from God. You cannot get to God on your own. And there is only one gospel answer for that. That's the work of Christ. His perfect life, his substitution of death, being buried in the grave, and rising from the dead. He is reigning and ruling right now, saving all of those who call on him to be saved. Your sin paid for on the cross, his righteousness given to you, so that before the Father, all he sees is the perfection of the Son. That's how we get God. Your sin problem has a gospel answer, and his name's Jesus. If you've never dealt with that problem, please put your faith in Jesus today. Turn from your sin and trust in Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for gathering us here this morning. Lord, I pray that you give us an urgency for gospel work. Pray that you give us a fire in our bones to get after the things you've called us to get after. And Father, I pray that you give us wisdom. Help us see sin in our lives and in our church. And help us apply the gospel to those problems. Father, I pray that as you move right now, that we will respond obediently to what you have for us. Whatever you're calling us to do, that we do just that. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.